you're watching this stuff meticulously trying to find these moments because you don't know exactly the thing that's going to become a big deal later on. Just be, be ready at all times, you know, uh, you know, to quote a great urban rapper, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. So I just try and stay ready for, for all moments. Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports, media, disruption, technology, social media, of course. Uh, I'm Joe Favorito, along again with my longtime co-host, Tom Richardson. Tom, here we are again. Here we are again in December. This is the first recording uh, in December, which means it's the end of the semester, which is a very strange thought. A couple Yay. weeks to go. How's, how are things wrapping up for you with your class? Great. You know, the, the, uh, the time I've spent in the Tower of Riverside Church, kind of uh, my version of the Hunchback of Notre Dame has been kind of interesting. I haven't gotten, gotten gone up the extra seven floors to ring the bell, but we may do that sometime. I'm going to say send uh, Sam, one of our producers up actually next week to ring the bell before we're finished with class. Joe, I, mm-hmm. I've yet to see that class location, but, I, but I've uh, formally requested it for my spring yeah. class that starts in January. It is um, so cool. Other than the one time when they started to play the organ, it was, uh, it's been great. So anyway. <laughs> well, that adds, so that adds some, some fun. Um, Tom, I guess we're gonna go from talking about a 110 year old church on the west side of Manhattan to talking about disruption in digital media today because we've got a guest who has been branded by some people the king of NBA Twitter for better, for worse, I guess, probably for better, but he's touching on a million different things. Great profile in the New York Times. Uh, I've been following him for a while. Really funny stuff, commentary, um, content promoter par excellence. So Josiah Johnson, welcome to the Cusp Show. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate you. Cool. All right. I'm going to just jump right in. I'm really excited about this, um, partly because I've never met a king of anything on Twitter. So, so <laughs> <laughs> we got the king of Twitter. And as a Twitter fan, as an NBA fan, this is really cool. So we'll get to that, Josiah, in a minute. But for, for the uninitiated, and I know your profile has been uh, raised substantially through your different uh, endeavors in media with your column in black and white on Netflix and your podcast, your work with Gilbert Arenas, without, with, with your show on Fubo. Um, and obviously what you're doing on Instagram and Twitter brilliantly as it relates to the NBA mostly. Um, but why don't you just quickly run through kind of how you got here, starting with your time at UCLA and your experiences with the entertainment business and stuff like that. Oh yeah, no problem at all. So Josiah Johnson uh, was born on the East Coast, actually born in Trenton, New Jersey, but lived in LA for a bulk of my life. Was actually, uh, I played basketball at UCLA, but got recruited by Columbia and, and was fairly close to, to coming out there. So this is kind wow. of, a great moment for me to be able to join you guys on this podcast. Had pretty good grades in, in high school and was able to have, kind of have my pick of the litter academically where I wanted to go. But uh, my whole family went to UCLA, so I decided on UCLA, obviously, and it was close, convenient. And, you know, you can't beat the campus in Westwood, you know, 90 degrees in December. Uh, it's, a, it's a great place to be. So uh, played at UCLA. I wouldn't say I was, you know, I was on the team. I received a scholarship, didn't play too much, was playing around about 12 to 13 guys who went on to the NBA, but uh, was the, you know, I won the team award for academic achievement like three times while I was there. I redshirted a year, so I was there for five years. So I got had some time to really figure things out and, and figure out what my next move in life was going to be. And, uh, you know, not playing as much gave me a lot of perspective and just kind of, you know, what I wanted to do. So 
after I graduated college, had the option to go play overseas. I could I could get French citizenship to my grandmother who was, was born in France, but I decided that I wanted to stay in LA and just start working in sports production, sports entertainment. So started working at Fox Sports and then uh, moved on to NFL Network where I was there for about 10 years, started there as a PA. By the time I left, I was a production supervisor, worked on probably 10 to 15 different shows, everything from Total Access to, uh, you know, around the NFL. I'm trying to think of the new names of these shows because they've, they've kind of morphed into different shows, but bunch of college stuff, worked the draft, Super Bowls, combines, pretty much anything you could think of over there. While I was there, I was also running a website called Jersey Chaser, which was an off-kilter sports entertainment site, similar in vein to spots like Bleach Report, uh, you know, kind of the, the new revamped version of, uh, you know, what ESPN is doing and things like that. Uh, while I was doing that, I got the opportunity to, to do a bunch of different stuff. I was also running a lot of content off of YouTube, creating a lot of stuff independently with a couple of friends of mine. That led to the creation of a television show called Legends of Chamberlain Heights that was uh, loosely based on our experiences riding the bench at UCLA. Uh, that show ran for two seasons. Season one, we were paired up with uh, South Park. That was our lead in. Uh, didn't go as, as well as I think Comedy Central was hoping. So season two, they kind of put us put us in the graveyard. And at that point, I was like, I know I'm going to have to move on. So after that, I uh, worked for a bunch of different uh, media companies, companies like Attention, which which focuses heavily in the, the social justice space. And then also started producing a show with Mark Tellis Bennett with a complex of Yahoo Sports called Mostly Football, that was basically a hybrid of SNL and, uh, you know, Sports Center. So doing a bunch of stuff in that space. And that's kind of, you know, where I learned the, the social game. Really, I got into, introduced into social when I was doing Legend of Chamberlain Heights, uh, ran the social for that account. At the height of the account, I think I got it close to like 100,000 Twitter followers, but just did a ton of market research, learned a lot of strategy, looked at other successful shows and things like that just to help me get to where I am today. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. In, in the profile and the, the Times, Josiah, they talked about how when you were doing um, Legends of Chamberlain Heights, you actually studied how other shows like South Park, Game of Thrones, Insecure were using social media. And it sounds like you were you figured out how to kind of reverse engineer and, and affect what you needed to do to build your own work, you know, the, the effort you were doing for your show, but also that served you well when you got deeper into social media with Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, my, my early introduction to social, I wasn't really a fan, didn't have a Twitter. I mean, I had a Twitter, I just didn't use it. It was, it was, it was dormant. Didn't really, you know, care too much for it. Just I knew it would take too much of my time and I didn't really see the financial value at that point. But as I was working on the show, I just noticed, you know, when you're looking at, at, at shows and the kind of shows are structured on TV and movies, they put a lot of money into promotion, right? You know, whether it's commercials, whether it's billboards, all types of different things. And what I found was that social was the quickest, easiest, and it was something that you could do at any point. Really, it's 24 hours a day. You can do it in your home, in your underwear. It doesn't really matter where, you, where you're doing social at, and it has the most profound effect. I mean, we saw the 2016 election and, and in previous administrations, how they were able to literally use social media masterfully to you know, stir up controversy and really build a, a cult following. And you, know, you see people kind of with a simple tweet they would they would rally and fortify and, and just you know literally follow directions almost to the point like they were zombies it was crazy to see but you know I, I just noticed shows like south park which was obviously i'm a big fan of trey and matt and what they were able to accomplish with that show and what they still accomplished i think in their 24 25th season just how they built a, a huge devoted loyal following on social same thing with insecure same thing with game of thrones and i was kind of late to the, the ball game with game of thrones i didn't start watching until around season five or season six then uh, me and my wife just binged all the way through it. I think we, we we caught up within like two or three months. We were watching four or five episodes a day and then start to understand what these memes meant and all the things that were going on and winter is coming and all these, these great catchphrases and buzzwords and things that people were talking about on social. So for me, 
I really used and applied all that to everything I was doing with the Legend of Chamberlain Heights account, try to find our own voice, our own lane tonally that was unique and specific to the show. And that was one thing as a creator, writer, producer, and actual voice talent on the show, I had a lot of leeway because, you know, I know these characters like the back of my hand and I'm also doing their voices. So which is do a ton of different stuff on social. We actually linked up with a company in Sweden who was able to give us, uh, you know, basically like animated versions that we could sync audio to. So essentially we could be faster in South Park and drop in animated clips. I would drop 15 to 30 second clips based on whatever was going on in the world of sports and trying to get them out as fast as possible and really would mesmerize people because they'd be like, oh my God, how'd you get this out so quickly? Literally they know we're using like a, you know, an app just to, to accomplish these things. But Saw, saw a lane that a lot of these other shows were using and try to utilize the same thing. And that's kind of the advice I give to people as they, they get into a space, no matter what you're doing, whether that's NBA, Twitter, NFL, politics, cooking, whatever, look at the people who are successful in that space. Look at the content they put out, start to really key in on the stuff that's more evergreen versus stuff that's more topical. How do they use and infuse that into the their, their content strategy and schedule? And then from there, you can really develop your own strategy and schedule. And look, it's going to be a lot of trial and error. You're going to do a lot of stuff that that's not going to perform well. For me, I had to learn instead of devoting hours and hours and hours on things and pieces of content that may have the ability to not perform well. You know, you look at meme culture and look, look, the lane I've been able to build in NBA Twitter. I can I can crank out a meme in 25 seconds. So whether that meme is uber successful or it fails, it's only 25 seconds of my time. So I feel that that's a great use of time and resources and more times than not, obviously, you know, you deal in social worlds and social spaces can be very toxic. So if you put up content that people aren't fans of, they will let you know that and they will go to great lengths to let you know that. And uh, so I try to avoid that when all possible and just try and stay on the right side in terms of making people laugh, keeping the mood light and, you know, creating content that people want to engage with, want to share with their friends and it tends to perform very well. Cool. So a couple of things. One is I can't wait to see the meme that comes out of this for us, Tom. That's going to be really cool. Um, (laughs) Second of all, um, you know, it's funny you talk about Columbia basketball uh, and, you know, you could probably add up three days and come up with 90 degrees at some point in January when the Ivy League season starts. So there's the 90 degrees that you could have had if you came to Burnside Heights. Uh, But more importantly, uh, on a serious note, time management. You have the Netflix show, you've got your podcast, you're obviously on all the time on Twitter with your NBA Twitter. How do you know how to manage your time? How do you do it? And kind of what's a day like? I know everybody says no day is the same, but let's say on a, on a random day when you're doing the podcast or you're looking at the, you know, the next piece of the Netflix show, how do you manage your time and who does it with you? Uh, so I'm, I'm a one-man band. I really uh, take a lot of great pride in just doing everything by myself. Uh, it's funny, I, in, in my normal life, I'm super unorganized, super chaotic, but in the professional world, that doesn't really fly well. So I try to keep an organized schedule, uh, keep everything, you know, Google Calendar is my best friend now, and try to just map out all the different stuff I'm doing. Obviously, I'm doing the show with Gilbert. I'm doing a show with Wave TV called Out of Pocket. Uh, do some work with Turner Sports on a show they have called NBA Twitter Live. Uh, consult for a bunch of different companies in the social space that are that are trying to make a, a, a lane in a dent and also work with a ton of different brands on different you know initiatives they have generally in the in the basketball sports world but a lot of other things as well so as you can imagine that's that's a lot of stuff uh, that I got to keep keep uh you know in my schedule and keep aware of but try to keep a succinct schedule 
every morning I wake up, I know what I have to do. Like, hey, I woke up this morning, I got to do a couple things on the consulting side. I got to do this lovely podcast with you guys. You know, got to lunch, got to do some other things, uh, you know, gearing up for other shows and projects that I'm working on. But I try to just, you know, for better or worse, and I talk to a lot of people, it's interesting that, that are in this space and they've kind of now branched out and they have teams of people. I have trust issues. So I really, it's hard for me to trust people to think the way that I think and be able to operate that I operate. And even, you know, looking, I work, I'm good friends with a lot of people working at a different bunch of different social media companies. And one of the things now I really look at is, you know, social is really a science when you break it down, but it's been around, you know, my wife is a radiologist. And when you go back and look in 19th century when radiology was kind of first started to happen, you know, it, 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 from where it is then to where it is now, it's, it's completely night and day. I think we're the same way in the social space. So it's only been around for a good 10, 15, 20 years when we talk about the instant messenger and AIM and IM days of old to now just the functionality of even somebody like myself being able to use a platform like Twitter to get in contact with pretty much anybody who I want, want to meet, you know, whether that's LeBron James, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, anybody in the space is Jordan Peele, you know, Ava DuVernay, who I've gotten the opportunity to work with on Colin and Black and White, you know, they see the social imprint and that's a great calling card resume. So the advice I give to people that are trying to get into social is like, look, use this as your resume, because at the end of the day, if you can put together a, a document with all the successful content that you put out, that's going to do a lot more than trying to show up to an interview and, and convince a social brand that, hey, I'm really good at this, but I've never really done it. So, you know, social is a great thing because it's a world that you can jump into. You can learn very quickly. It's a lot of, like I said, trial and error, putting stuff out, uh, learning, you know, definitely looking at metrics, engagement and social things like that. So for me, every day is chaotic and hectic in terms of just all the different stuff I have going on. But I try to keep a level head and I'm a little bit older now. I'm almost 40 years old. So as I've gotten older, I've realized not to say less is more. Look, I work very hard and everybody who knows me knows that I, I'm, a, I'm a workaholic, but try to manage that time a lot better. I have kids now and a family and other things that I need to prioritize. So, you know, I don't wake up and I have a lot of friends that work in social and they have numbers and quotas and things they need to hit every day. I don't operate like that. If I wake up on a day and there's nothing going on, then I'll just go about life as usual. If I wake up on a day like, you know, Say in the last couple of days, there's been a ton of ton of great stuff going on in the sports landscape, whether that's college football with kind of all these, these coaches jumping ship, uh, developing new accents based on the new regions that they're coaching in and yeah. all, all types of interesting things going on. So there's always stuff for me to talk about or, you know, obviously situation going on with some of the teams in the NFL with, with, with certain gentlemen uh, producing fake vaccination cards and you know, I'm a big LeBron James fan and LeBron, I think, had uh, the coronavirus for about five hours before he was magically cured and just things like that. Oh, so there's always and stuff and to wait, discuss. And that was the one where you did you did the gif of the guy from Shawshank Redemption, uh, Morgan yeah. Freeman, walking out of jail. That, yeah. that was genius. <laughs> I appreciate it. So, I mean, I, I have a, such a, a vast library of stuff that I've studied. And just from when I was a kid, my, my dad played in the NBA, so we're fortunate to be uh you know, very privileged, very well off. We had a, you know, satellite that could get channels in the East Coast. So we would watch the East Coast feeds of shows. You know, this is back in the day, shows like Different World, shows like In Living Color, things like that. But we would know what was going to happen. So our friends might come over later that night and we pretend like we were watching on the first viewing and we literally watched these things two times, you know. And this was before TiVo and before DVR and all that type of stuff. We would just really ingrain ourselves and immerse ourselves. So like I said, I'm 40 years old. So I have a huge cultural library in terms of all the content that I've been able to consume in my life. And I really just sticks in the back of my brain. I don't, I don't watch things the same way I feel like the normal people do where I'm watching things and I'm automatically seeing them in meme form. Like, oh, I can clip off this little section. I can use that for me for this. Or, oh, this would be great for that. Or, oh, you know, I, I use the scene from The Waterboy 
you know, Brian Kelly, uh, I think gave his first intro, you know, oh, kind of hello at LSU at the basketball game. It reminded me of the character from, from Waterboy and just kind of how quickly his accent had shifted. So just yeah. looking at things in this space, this world, and it's keeping a library of stuff. And that's another thing, a uh, piece of advice I try to give to the younger people that give into the, this world is that you just have to watch and consume as much content as possible. I get a lot of uh, criticism from, from, from younger people because some of the content that I use is just stuff they frankly haven't seen. And that's, look, that's fine. That, that is what it is. But I'm 40. I'm, I'm gearing my content to the people who are in my age range, and that's to my primary audience and demo, and that's who I, I gravitate towards. Now, if some of this content spills over to a younger generation, they like it as well. Awesome. But I know my demo. I know the people that I'm trying to reach. And, and ultimately, I do stuff that I find entertaining. And I basically have a simple, simple process for determining if I'm going to post something or not. Do I find it funny? Do I find it interesting? Do I find it thought provoking? And if that is the case, then I will let it go. And I don't care how well or bad it performs after that. So related to that point, like, are, are you conscious of the fact that you have this huge influence on Twitter, especially as it relates to the NBA, king of NBA Twitter? And I'm sure you don't want to be dethroned. So are you conscious of the fact that as each NBA day comes, you want to think about like big moments? So tonight we're, we're recording this on December 3rd. There's a huge game, Golden State Phoenix part two of this week. Now, will you consciously say to yourself, I've got to pay attention to that game and get out one of these great posts quickly during the game so as to, you know, uh, continue your, your domination of NBA Twitter? So my background is in sports entertainment. I spent a significant amount of years at NFL Network cutting highlights. And uh, the one thing that you could ask anybody about me back in the day, you know, things have become more obviously with technology and advancements. Everything is more digital. Everything is on computers now. We didn't really have that. So back in the day, we were doing paper logs. We had to log games by hand. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I really took pride in is kind of my OCD is I would overlog games. I would, I would just see the value in every shot. We basically had a rule. Any shot that was on screen for longer than two seconds could be used for, for something. It could be an ISO of a coach or some random obscure, you know, D-line or quality control coach that may go on to get a head coaching job at some point. We didn't have to scramble to find footage of this person. So I would log as much as possible, color code, and just have a, a, a certain respect for the process in the game and also know that weeks from now, they might go back to a, log, a, a game that I logged and be trying to find something, and I'd want to make sure they were able to find it. Hey, in the second quarter, there was a shot of this that, you know, did you catch it? And that, that wasn't the thing that everybody was doing back then. You know, when you're logging these games, you don't really know what to look for sometimes. So I would just look for everything. And, hey, you got the coach of, you know, you know, you got a shot of this coach who now just got a random, you know, randomly became head coach or whatever team. Oh, yeah, yeah, go to second quarter, you know, four minutes left in the game. There's like a good 10-second chunk of him chewing out a player or something that we can use for that so I, I apply everything and approach everything like that and seeing it in highlight form where you're watching this three hour game in my case it was NFL game but actually I started at Fox Sports as well and was thrown into the fire doing highlights for all types of stuff stuff I didn't really care about at that point like hockey which I've since become a fan of NASCAR which I've become a fan of and you just imagine watching a two three hour race waiting for that crash or waiting for that you know person to, to move into first place and take the flag and all that good stuff you're watching this stuff meticulously trying to find these moments because you don't know exactly the thing that's going to become a big deal later on. That could be a guy getting an injury and, hey, he looked fine on the play, but he was limping just a tad. Let me let me note that because, you know, if three days from now we find out he's not playing because of that injury he suffered, they're going to want to find that video as simple as possible. So I apply a lot of that into the stuff that I'm doing where I'm watching everything in highlight form. So if it's a, you know, LeBron, you know, and obviously there's ones that everybody sees and everybody noticed. I think most recently the LeBron Isaiah Stewart situation, 
but now just all the different stuff that comes out of it, like Detroit security guards, you know, not wanting to get entangled with Isaiah Stewart as he's running through and kind of letting players deal with that stuff that, you know, when you're watching it first, you may not notice, but now you go back. And that's kind of what I really become keen in the jump at. And that's what I really like doing in, in, in the live space. Cause that's the one thing for me is the great equalizer. I have a lot of friends, like I said, that work at different companies and social, and let's say they work at ESPN and it's an ESPN game. Well, they have, the 10 camera feeds and all this additional content and resources that they have at their disposal. But if we're all watching the game live and we see that moment happen live, and now we're trying to get whatever piece of content that is, whether that's a, you know, screen grab, which people like uh, Rob Perez, who goes by worldwide wild on Twitter are, are masters of, he can get, you know, he can get a clip out before the actual replay in the game, which, you know, when we first started social and those type of things happened, we literally had to wait five to 10 minutes for somebody to upload it to YouTube. If that was going to happen, then take that link, bring that link over to Twitter, hope people clicked on that link to go back and watch the YouTube and then hope they came back to Twitter to retweet our piece. Now you can natively embed all that stuff in addition to all the teams that do a, and leagues that do a great job of putting this content now, natively embed all that stuff and get that stuff out literally before they show a highlight of it on, during the game. So within 15, 20, 30 seconds. And that's what social really is. These moments happen, everybody's talking about them. You see a, a big moment in a game, you see LeBron James dunk on somebody or block Andre Godala in 2016 to help the Cavs you know, overcome a 3-1 deficit to win the championship. Right at that moment, everybody's buzzing about it. And that's everybody around the world from, you know, all walks of life, celebrities, whoever it may be from, you know, Obama to, you know, just a regular person on the street are all talking about that moment and are all now looking to engage with others who are talking about that moment and get their perspective. So I just try to develop a unique lane in that space. And really, like I said, just be, be ready at all times, you know, uh, you know, to quote a great urban rapper, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. So I just try and stay ready for, for all moments. And when those moments happen and look at the end of the day, you're going to miss some things. And that's the kind of thing I, I'm fine with. Look, I'm going to miss, I'm not going to get everything. You know, I'm not going to catch every single moment, but the moments I do catch, I'm going to be very successful at providing content for, and that's going to really help boost my stature and grow my following and, and, and really just open up a lot of new lanes and doors for me in this industry. Cool. You mentioned a really cool phrase, cultural library. And, and when I think about, you know, kind of where you've been in the sponge that you were at UCLA and other places, you look at names like Steve Lavin and Marcus Johnson and probably Steve Bornstein at NFL Network and a lot of the people who've influenced you. But as you built this and you sat back and, and probably were taking notes, either mental notes or writing them down, who were the people who jumped out at you as saying, man, that's a man or a woman that I want to be more like and I let them influence me and you went and found them. Who are those those three or four people that jump out at you? Uh, really kind of the biggest person for, from an influence standpoint on Twitter is uh, you guys know him as Dragonfly Jones. I won't say his government name. It's funny. On social, it's literally like the Matrix, right? Like I'll, I'll be walking on the street and people be like, hey, it's King Josiah. It's like, bro, it's just Josiah. Like the king is just like, I was just mocking LeBron. He was King James. Like King Josiah is biblical. So I made my handle King Josiah 54 with my basketball number. I don't walk around like people refer to me as king. It's like, yo, I'm just a regular guy, bro. Like, I'm not I'm not a king. I'm no royalty or whatever. But we basically create this kind of Matrix-like world now where, you know, they have like their matrix name. So it's Neo and Trinity and Morpheus and all that. And then just a regular world where it's like, hey, it's Bob, it's Jim, it's whatever. It's just, you know, their regular names. But Dragonfly Jones was a guy who, you know, I just saw the way he moved on social. And I was always just fascinated. He's just an intelligent, brilliant human being, somebody I've gotten to connect with later in life. But, you know, I remember the first time meeting him it was literally, um, I want to say 2019, game three of uh, Warriors Raptors and Twitter kind of flown out a bunch of 
quote unquote NBA Twitter personalities to come hang out at his event. Never met him before, but as soon as he walks in the room, he just lights up the room. You know exactly who it is. I don't even I don't even know really what he looks like, but I'm just like, oh, this is this is Dragonfly. Give him a big hug and just to be able to kind of pick his brain and talk to him and just understand the fluidity and just consistency of, of how he tweets and just how his brain works. And I think a lot of stuff that no matter black, white, whoever you are, what your demos are, you have to align with, you know, if you're in NBA Twitter, there are certain things that you just need to know, right? About that world and, and be cognizant of and just keep track of and keep a, a running tally of to be able to recall two to three to four years later if something happens. Oh, that was just like this moment that happened or that was just like this or, hey, Malice in the Palace, we're, we're seeing version two of that, you know, a couple of weeks ago with LeBron and Isaiah Stewart. So, you know, just Dragonfly definitely. And then LeJethro Jenkins, who actually him and Dragonfly uh, host a podcast together for, for Volume Sports which if you don't listen to it, definitely listen to because those guys are both intelligent and incredible. But I remember just listening to their podcast back, back in the day and just listening to how they talk and just the way that they, they moved. And just, I was always fascinated. Other, other couple of people were, are Jesus and Mero, of course. And I think Jesus and Mero are essentially the dream, right? They're representative of what you can do just being a, a super intelligent, a talented person and how that can morph into now they have one of the most successful shows on late night, award-winning, uh, you know, huge, huge, loyal, devoted following. But I like to say, like, you know, even the stuff that I'm doing now, I'm doing a lot of on-air stuff and a lot of on-air work. Five, 10, 15 years ago, you had to be a former player to be able to get those jobs. There was no way a, a person like me even having a background playing at UCLA would be able to rise to that level because that's not what companies were looking for. Now, if you can build up your social profile, you can create a tremendous amount of opportunities for yourself and lanes for yourself. And now I'm doing stuff and getting compensated in the same way that, that former players are on this side because of the value that I bring in terms of my following and leveraging that. So when I look at names, you said, you know, definitely Dra uh, Dragonfly and LeJethro Jenkins. LeJethro is a person that I've worked with. We co-hosted a show together with Yahoo Sports called Dunkbait. Amazingly talented producer. We're actually working at Wave together now. He's a producer over there. So, you know, it's like we all have our kind of Twitter personas, if you will, and kind of the matrix type of persona that we have. But at the end of the day, we're all kind of regular human beings that also have just regular work schedules and life too. And kind of, you know, Twitter's kind of our Neverland where we get to go, you know, live out our fantasies and dreams. But now it's turning into a lot of financial benefit as well, where I'm almost at the stage where Twitter can be a full-time job for me. So it's wow. a pretty awesome thing to see. Wow. Cool. Josiah, what, what current players do you think have the best Twitter game? Oh, Kevin Durant. Without, without, I mean, I think KD and KD has created so much fear on Twitter that, cause he's, he's, <laughs> Katie's, um, and, and honestly, he's an, I'm, I'm in a group chat with Kevin. He's an amazing dude. I think when you just really get to know him because, you know, he talks trash on the court, he talks trash in life, and he's not a human being to be trifled with. So if you're you're talking about Ke Kevin Durant, I don't care who you are, and he catches wind of it, which, you know, he'll, he'll search his name on occasion and see what the conversation's like. But he's also a type of guy, you know, Twitter launched spaces to give people the opportunity to, to do live audio and he's the type of guy that'll pull into a Twitter spaces if his name comes up and he catches wind of it and he'll stay there if he has time I remember uh, you know one time in particular he showed up for like a good 45 minutes to an hour took the whole internet by storm everybody jumped in the space just to hear Katie talk and finally he's like all right look I got to go get you ready for practice or whatever I got to go get a meal or something but I'm going to get off but I think you know people like that Chad Ochocinco I really feel like helped lay the foundation for this a lot of people don't remember back in the day Chad was really using his Twitter every city he went to on the road he would just send the bird call out hey who wants to meet me for lunch or dinner at, at a restaurant next thing you know it's just two to three hundred of the most random human beings all whoever was in the vicinity of the area to show up but chad was was a great example of how you can use social to really leverage your platform your brand and now he had literally people of opposing teams who are supposed to hate him because he's on the Bengals, like you know showing up and loving him wearing ocho cinco jerseys 
just because they get to, and that's the thing too, what we see nowadays, especially with uh, the mental health and situation like that, where people like Simone Biles and Kevin Love talk about, and I had to learn as well. You know, I used to be a lot more inflammatory in how I use social media because I didn't really look at these athletes as real human beings, despite having been an athlete before. You kind of start drinking your own Kool-Aid, get lost in that world where you think you can just say some absurd, wild, crazy, reckless stuff. These people, like, they're not human beings, so they're not going to see that and feel some way emotionally. And yet, even being on my side and dealing with the trolling and the toxic nature of it, you develop, you know, mechanisms and defense mechanisms to not really be as concerned about those things that happen. But I try to have a lot more respect for them now. And in the way that I post and the captions and the content that I put out are things that if they're in the locker room with each other and they show it, that they'll actually get a laugh out of it and not be, you know, insulted or, or inflamed by it. So I think somebody like Kevin Durant is a human being that's brought a lot of balance to the force because he's a person that if you mention his name or you say something reckless about him he has no problem kind of returning the favor going back at you and obviously he's coming with like 20 million followers so it's not a competition or a war that you really want to get into because it's not a battle you're going to be able to win what is it about the nba that that makes this work so well i mean of the major sports as as the new york times article pointed out it's kind of distinct in the in the way it kind of has created this social media culture that seems to, uh, I don't know, be more animated and, and, and more enjoyable than other sports. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think some leagues out there, and I won't mention any names, but some leagues are very, very, uh, you know, overprotective of their content and don't really allow fans to share it without the, the threat of getting, you know, DMCA takedown notices and things like that. So the NBA has really fostered a world of community. Can you look at somebody like Worldwide Wob? who, you know, has built up an amazing close to a million followers, but with his ability to, you know, he's basically like a league pass legend. He's watching league pass, watching all the different moments that go on and spreading content, spreading the game, spreading the conversation points that people are going to talk about. So I think also you talk about just the amount of games that the NBA has. Obviously every team's playing 82 games, you know, in non-pandemic years. So there's just so many games, so many moments, so many opportunities. Like you mentioned, you know, as we're taping the show December 3rd, you've got the Golden State Warriors versus the Suns and their kind of rematch of the top two teams in the league. But you also have the Lakers and the Clippers, which that game obviously got moved from ESPN because it initially wasn't thought to be that appealing. But that's when we thought LeBron was going to be in protocol for 10 days. Come to find out he tested negative like eight times. Like, you know, he was you know, he was taking COVID tests like a madman. And now he's back in the mix. And a lot of fans are like, oh, you, you jumped the gun on that one, ESPN. But I think either way, those are going to both be amazing games that people are going to talk about. So there's just a constant influx where a league like the NFL, which does a great job as well, really promoting their communities. But they're only playing Sundays, Mondays, and Thursdays, right, until we get to the postseason where obviously it's a more more extensive schedule. But it's just not enough days. Where the NBA is, is basically every day. It's going for a good six, seven months. I think the personalities, I've seen different studies and things, you know, out there where if you look at the top social followings, it's it's pretty much all NBA. We talk about guys like LeBron, Steph Curry, KD. And I want to say like Tom Brady was kind of one of the first names that came into the list. And I don't even know back then if he was even top 10 at that point. I think he's done a lot, lot of great work with his social team. And you look at other sports, football, baseball, it's hard to really get facial recognition of a lot of these guys. They're wearing hats, they're wearing helmets. You don't really know who they are. We're basketball. We can see their faces. We can we can see them constantly and get a sense of that. Also, football, you're talking 53-man roster. Baseball, I think, it was, what, 22, 23, something like that man roster. Where NBA is 12 guys. You know, there's literally five main guys that are, are, are the faces of, of the team in, in terms of the starters. 
So, and also just a shout out to NBA Twitter, which uh, TJ Adeshola and the crew over there has done a tremendous job mm-hmm. of really fostering and embracing the community, giving us the resources. And it's amazing for me to see, because I remember the first time I met Dragonfly back in 2019, I might've had 30, 40,000 followers, but they recognized the vision of just what was going on. Hey, decide we would love for you to come out here and just hang out with this crew. And a lot of these crew people didn't really have huge followings by, you know, kind of, you know, current standards. But to see how everybody's grown and risen and how now each team has their own kind of sect of NBA Twitter personalities who are really just, you know, devoted fans that put their heart into it, watch every single game meticulously, essentially similar to beat reporters in terms of just their love. The difference being they're not a lot of them aren't paid to do this. So they're doing it out of sheer love of their team and loyalty to their franchises, which I think once you create that and you have people who are devoted and dedicated initially who aren't even getting paid for it once now the opportunity to present themselves so they can now financially benefit from these spaces of course they're just going to dive in head first and, and, and just be as committed and devoted as possible cool uh one more question for me before we get to our, our final questions and i'm sure tom has one more um you mentioned a lot of dudes who are some of the women that you think are, are doing a pretty good job and and have built their engagement and have captured your attention and why uh, i think you know first and foremost jasmine l Watkins, who uh for me is and it's again, it's funny, you meet a lot of people who they have day jobs. And, but while, you know, and this is the funny thing about Twitter, like, which I was dealing with too, even when I was working at companies, I was firing off tweets. Like it was a lunch break or even sometimes it wasn't. I might be in a business meeting. I remember one time specifically, I was at a meeting for Yahoo Sports for a show. Uh, something happened. I had to fire off a tweet. That tweet ended up, you know, going viral. And I'm literally sitting in the meeting, just kind of, you know, still paying attention to everybody, casually, you know, looking at my phone as the numbers just skyrocket. And none of them even catch wind of it for another 20, 30, 40 minutes. So they check their social and see like, oh, wow. Like, like you did this while you were in here? It's like, yeah, I didn't want to draw attention <laughs> to it. But Jasmine Watkins is a human being that really just, I like the way she moves socially. She just has a, a, a huge Rolodex and knowledge and just in terms of, you know, how, how she goes out there. Another person would be Ashley Nicole Moss, who uh, Ash is a, a friend of mine. And uh, we actually have the same agent now. But she's been able to really grow her social and build her following. People like Taylor Rooks and Joy Taylor, I really feel mm-hmm. like set the just the gold standard of, of how to move in the social spaces. People like Sarah Spain, Haley O'Shaughnessy. There's so many, I mean, different names that I can just rattle off to you. Molly Morrison, who's heavy in, in Grizzly Twitter and is literally, she was like running an account under an alias, you know, and eventually revealed herself to be, a, you know, I think she was like 17 or 18 at that point, And now she's going to graduate from Memphis. Uh, university uh, rather soon but just young and I'm always fascinated like I said I'm a little bit older I'm kind of a dinosaur when I meet people who are 19 20 21 and just understanding and picking their brains and learning how they were able to build this following and just the work that they put into it but I think there's so many smart intelligent people both men and women who are in this space that really you know they they motivate me and inspire me to keep going and I'm not a type of human being I'm not pocket watching or counting other people's money or saying, oh, I got to compete with these people. I'm more, I just embrace it. Like, you know, I feel like we're all digital artists. So I was able to work on the show with Ava. And in my episode, I I took a look at an artist by the name of Romare Bearded. And uh, Romare actually is, is, uh, I think, lived in New York. He he wasn't born there, but he was somebody, my dad used to have his paintings at the house and he was a, a big fan of juxtaposition and really just showing the, the plight of the black experience in America through his artwork. And as I looked at his art as a little kid, I was always just fascinated by just looking at the different ways tonally he would, he would infuse stuff into his works. And I think I look nowadays and it's funny after I did the show, talking to my wife a little bit, I'm like, damn, I'm kind of doing a similar thing to what he's doing now in a, in a digital space by taking these moments and clips sometimes from things that, that should be serious and making them comedic and sometimes stuff that can be comedic and making them serious and just being able to communicate with the world. And I think Elon Musk said, you know, he, he who controls the memes controls the universe. And that's something that I really 
really live by nowadays and didn't really know what it meant when he first put it out there. But now you just see the way that memes and this culture and this world have created such a huge lane. I even look at myself and kind of people that are now inspired by me and how they, they move and operate on these spaces. And for me, I don't, I don't ever, you know, I understand that, that art is always evolving. I don't, you know, if I see somebody that, that tries to do stuff similar to me, I'm not like, oh man, you're copying me. I'm, I'm more embracing. I'm like, well, try it this way or try saying it like this or like, this was a great idea, but why don't you switch this word or that word around? I mean, you could go ahead and ask people, like I'll DM people memes all the time. It's like, look, I saw you put this up. I'm not going to take your meme try it with this and then maybe put this video on there and see how that goes. And then the thing goes viral and like, Oh man, you could have just took that. And it's like, yeah, I could, but this thing is always evolving. And I'm not, I'm not a human being. I like to sleep well at night. So I, I really just embrace the art, the culture, the community. And I'm not concerned about myself. Cause I really feel like these people, you know, you look at somebody like a Kobe or a LeBron or an MJ, they're motivated by this next crop and next generation that come in. And that gives them, you know, these people motivate me to keep working hard and to keep being successful. So I'm super appreciative of them for raising the bar and also allowing me not to shortchange myself in, in everything that I'm doing. Well, it's a great analogy to, you know, with the, the art, I'm thinking of the phrase like a content collage, like you, mm -hmm. you have these different forms, these different outlets and you bring them all together and you create this image that, that really is made up of different things. And it's really, it's a good way to think of modern day creator based media. So thank you for that. I, I think I'll, I'll steal that one since you don't yeah. mind people stealing your stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's not, you know, the social is like the wild, wild west. So at the end of the day, yeah, yeah. yeah do I mind? Uh, of course. But at the end of the day, I also I also appreciate and respect everyone. And I think we're all kind of in this together and all evolving the culture. So if you want to use that in the class, go ahead. <laughs> thank you. A little courtesy would be appreciated, but uh, if course, not, it's absolutely. all good. No, no, I, I will definitely be giving you credit. Um, Shazai, one last uh, regular question. Two big platforms we have not heard uttered in this conversation are Facebook and TikTok. Have you just strategically decided to stay away from those or are you involved in some capacity that we just don't know about? So like I said, I'm a dinosaur. So that would that would mean that I, I used to delve, delve a little bit on Facebook and just kind of think in the wake of all the stuff that's been going on, all the controversy surrounding the platform, you know misinformation and things like that. But I, I, I was having in Facebook when I was working at companies like Attention, who has a huge Facebook following, I think like 12 to 15 million followers and producing content for that space. I just feel like for me, Twitter as a social platform is my favorite just because of the real time ability of engagement. And I like to say on Twitter, you can literally have one follower, but if you put up a good enough piece of content and that thing catches like wildfire, you know, all the time I see people who go viral on that platform that have 200, 300 followers, but it's just an amazing, tremendous piece of content. TikTok, I, I respect TikTok. Honestly, the creators on there, but I just feel like I'm too old for TikTok. And I know I say that, you know, very candidly, like, you know, it's definitely probably a space I will get into at some point, but I'm so enamored by just the different content creators and people that are on that platform. I definitely am a fan of TikTok and, 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 and use it. But, you know, same thing with Snapchat. It's just like, all right, these aren't, these aren't lanes particularly that I'm, I'm strong in. So let me focus on the stuff I'm strong in, which is primarily Twitter, litigating a little bit more into Instagram. But I do see a world, for me, it's like TikTok, I got to find that one thing. I think TikTok, you got to kind of be super niche in terms of how you approach it and whatever content you're putting out, you got to continue to put content like that because that's what their algorithm favors. But I've also met a lot of young people who are like, yo, you know, I started a TikTok and then like five months later, I had millions of followers. And I'm just like baffled, like, yo, how are you able? Because I'm, I'm slowly building my Twitter following. It's like, how are you able just to go out there and consistently know the content that people want? But a platform that I'll get to one day, because I think it's very financially lucrative. And I think a lot of brands, advertisers, and, and, and networks are really focusing and harnessing it on TikTok. 
you know, personalities. Look at somebody like Addison Ray, who's been able to transform her TikTok following, which she now has built across all social into acting roles and jobs and hosting and a bunch of different things. So it's definitely a world. This is the thing I, I try and tell a lot of the younger generation. Like, you know, we were growing up. I didn't say, hey, I want to be like a work in social media. I didn't know what that meant. Like it, it didn't exist at that point. You really have a, a grand, a brand new gold mine of stuff that you're, you're very active. You know, you got to know. Once you get to a certain age, you're not as active, you're not going out to parties as much or bars or events or whatever, you're raising families, you're not as in tune to what's going on in the world. So while you're young and in college or high school, you have so much more opportunity to really learn these things. And you don't have to feel like when I was coming up, it was like a hierarchy. If like, if I got a job in sports production, I'm not going to be an EP, you know, of, of any network until about 15, 20, 25 years down the road, right? Where nowadays you can literally become an EP of your own network at age 19, age 20, just by, you know, building a, a strong following and distribution base. And I was actually talking to a friend of mine and I literally to ask him, cause he's literally, you know, he's dominating the game. I'm like, yo, how old are you? Cause I've never asked you before. He's like, I'm 21. I'm like, you like, I don't even want to tell you what I was doing when I was 21. Like this, there's no way. Cause like, I manage a team and I got this and I got that. And so basically just to say, you know, like there's a lot of dinosaurs that are in our, our age and generation where I don't know, we kind of look down like, man, how are you able to do this so quick? We had to pay our dues and work our way up, but don't ever feel obligated to do that in this world. Cause if you build up a strong following, a strong distribution base and your content is good, then, then the sky is the limit. Cool. Well, Tom, I think we answered one of the one of the final questions. Yeah. The last one is, is there any other places, Josiah, that, that you're looking at every day that are maybe not the norm to to stay smart on everything that's going on? And then obviously, we'd love you to kind of let everybody know where they can follow you too before we let you wrap up. I think for me, and it's tough because there's so much misinformation out there, but Twitter is my go-to and also my favorite platform just because of the amount of information that we consume. Like I grew up working in sports production. So we moved to more linear, more digital when I was there. A lot of people who came up in the early days were a little bitter at us because they used to have to edit tape to tape. And what that meant was they would record the games on tapes. They'd have to scroll through the tape and find everything and log the numbers and take that to an editor, put those tapes in there, and they'd have to cut all that stuff together. Where now we have all these linear systems in place and functionalities like Avid and Final Cut, where we can just pull that clip up. I can sift through that thing in 20 seconds, find bam, 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 and just be able to do stuff so much faster. That's the same way I feel like social is now. You, The amount of information that we are able to consume on a daily basis is just astronomical compared to when I was a kid. Like, you know, when I was a kid, we had to wait for the paper there, you know, there's a, by and large, not a chance you were going to just, you know, I mean, I commend the people who were able to do this, but you were going to just read the whole paper and, and learn everything that was going on in the world. You might gravitate towards the sports section or the calendar section, whatever, or the things that you were interested in. But nowadays that kind of stuff just jumps out at you because as you're scrolling a timeline, you see so much just different random information. You know, I think on a day like today, there's 20 different things trending across 20 different platforms and spaces and communities that I just kind of kind of digest and consume and, and just keep in my head. But we have all this information just in knowledge getting thrown and thrusted as constantly. So you got to sift through it because you know I see things a lot of times, and that's where kind of I was I was I was a little cool on Facebook because. You have all this misinformation. And obviously, if you're an intelligent, you go to Columbia, you're like myself, you go to UCLA, you can look at a lot of these things and be like, all right, this is BS. This is not true. It's a fake quote. This didn't really happen. But there's such a sect of this country and this world who will see these things and gravitate to them and hit you with these numbers and these stats and these facts that are patently and blatantly wrong. And you're just like, that's not accurate. And But they've convinced themselves because they want to believe it that that is the truth. So there's so much misinformation going on now. It's such a, a tough time to live in as well, because when you see things like it happens on Twitter, somebody may quote something or say something. And it's like, yo, this is from a fake account that's pretending to be this person. And, uh, you know, they're trying to break news and there's such an obsession to be first and be 
be quick. You know, there's some more reception to be first than to be right. And I think that's the thing that I try to focus on before I drop a story. I'm going to try and do as much research as possible to make sure that's accurate, make sure we're getting it from a person who's knowledgeable and knows what they're talking about, as opposed to just, Hey, I saw this thing and I really want to believe it. So I'm going to run with it. You know, I feel like that's a, a very terrible way to, to structure your life and your world, but it's hard with so much stuff that gets thrown at us. So I was trying to do my due diligence, check a variety of sources and make sure I can confirm whatever's going on and then essentially formulate my opinions based on that. Cool. Um, and then lastly, most importantly, where can people follow you on, on the sites that you're on and, and get more information about what you're doing? Uh, uh, King Josiah 54 on Twitter, Instagram, very approachable. If anybody has questions, I, I love, I love talking the art and science of social in addition to entertainment. Obviously I have a background writing and producing, uh, just did a show with Ava DuVernay and Colin Kaepernick and Michael Starberry for Netflix. Like you guys mm-hmm. mentioned called uh, Colin in black and white that we're super, super excited about. So really for me, it's just, it's just trying to give back. I don't want to die with all this information in my brain, not having shared it with as many people who are willing to listen as possible. And again, I love just talking the art of social and the strategy and the science of it as this thing is ever evolving. And we learn more and more and more just about people's consumption habits, how they view content strategy, how they post things, why they post things, when they post things, all that good stuff. So feel free to hit, hit me, follow me and uh, just, just come along for the ride. Cause it's going to be exciting. Cool. Wow. <laughs> So that was like a seriously My help, helpful and amazing <laughs> tutorial on how to yeah. do social media circa 2021. 20, yeah. Thank you, Josiah. Seriously, that was yeah. that was incredible. A um, lot of words of wisdom and, and I would say practical advice as well. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so that was that was um, excellent. We really appreciate you sharing all that with us. Thank you so uh, much. Josiah Johnson, king of NBA Twitter producer, writer, bon vivant in the media world and social media uh, guru. Um, Really um, some amazing insights, some uh, really good stories. Thank you again uh, on behalf of uh, Columbia for for joining us. This will be uh, one of the highlights of 2021 in our podcasting schedule. I really appreciate it. Well, I hope so. I hope it performs well for you guys uh, (laughs) because I like numbers. Maybe when you tweet about it, it go viral. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it very well could. We'll be, All right. Be real. Well, thanks, very thanks, much, Josiah, and thank, thanks to uh, to Sam, Connor, and Yash on, on the other side uh, producing. Uh, appreciate everybody listening. If you have any thoughts, suggestions for guests, topics, whatever, hit us up. Me and Joe, Joe at Joe Fab at Convergence TR. Um, and again, thanks to Josiah Johnson, uh, Josiah King, Josiah fifty four. Check them out. We'll see you, everybody in the next show. 